Welcome to the Sermon of the Week at New Hope Community Church. We hope that you're blessed and encounter God's presence as you listen to this message. So it's a real honor to call up in a minute here Abby and Justin Stumval. I mean, many of you I know have seen them on Bethel and, you know, you guys have a huge ministry and stuff, but there is such a purity and an authenticity to you guys and to what you bring. Uh, I know Justin's going to be sharing a lot of the word today. He is a amazing powerhouse of stuff. Like, I, I should just say it, but I was downstairs in the kitchen yesterday and just talking with Joy, and Justin comes down. He's like, Jesus told me right now I have to come down and I have something to share with you. And he was like, I'm like, this bald guy with big muscles is running at me, like, <laughs> jumped right in front of me. Like, Who is this guy? But I was like, God is such an amazing gift. And I work with coaches all over upstate New York and professional coaches and stuff. But I, he got at some deep heart things in me so quickly and so effective. So you are in for a real treat. So just want to honor you guys. So give them a hand as they come up. Abby and Justin. Thank you. We love being here. Oh my gosh, you guys have the best pastors. I told them, I was like, I want to change my flight so I can just hang out with you guys more. They are so solid in loving each other and their family and you guys and so proud of you. I, I love seeing pastors who love their people, who actually, it's who they are, who behind the scenes aren't like, oh my gosh, I hate my life. <laughs> behind the scenes, they're like, I love this. So um, it's an honor to be a part of what you guys are doing. We feel such kindred spirits, that there is such a heart for freedom and for all that God has here. And I just feel like this is a, an incredible uh, gift for the world, the leadership style that you guys have. And I feel like there's such a unique calling that this church has different than any other place and there is such a gift for business and I really feel like this is going to be like an apostolic business center where people are raised up in business. It's, it doesn't surprise me that you had a business woman up here sharing um, because I think you guys are meant to empower the kingdom in business and I think there's actually a covering that you are going to have where people actually learn the practical life skills of how to make money and that you're going to see people in your church get promotions under your covering and learn wisdom and strategy. And I feel like you guys are going to birth CEOs and, um, and, uh, you know, all the things, <laughs> all the business things. Yeah. So dear God, let it be so. Amen. Um, it has been so much fun being here. Uh, God's doing so much. I just want to do a couple quick things. My husband, this little hunk of hunk, <laughs> he wrote a book. And I love talking about this book because I am impressed with it. I actually have read it like multiple times because I like it that much. It's kind of like a Pixar movie meets like Chronicles of Narnia. It's an adult, like it has adult messages in a children's story. So it's like every age group wins. And I love this because Jesus taught in story because story goes past our logic and our mind into our hearts. 
And so this book is an allegory about the kingdom of God. It's about an, an oak tree that is planted in an apple orchard and is always disappointed because it cannot produce apples. But it was not meant to until it finds out what its destiny is actually meant to be that is far greater than he ever imagined. It is funny and fun and adventurous. We have seven-year-olds who've read it three times because they love it so much. We had an 80-year-old come up to us weeping, this 80-year-old man weeping, saying, oh my gosh, this book made me realize I still have a destiny left on this earth. And we had... Um, this psychologist write in and say, I have never understood shame as well as I have when reading your book and how to get free from it. It massively changed me and I'm gonna have all my clients read it. So it's an emotionally intelligent story. So if you were in here, my dad used to always read to me. It's such a special way to connect with your kids. So is, are there any dads who like to read to their kids? None of you, you should be convicted right now. <laughs> Holy Spirit, bring repentance. Call him out. Call him out on it. <laughs> you, you, fine. Come on and get it. Oh, grandpas. Yeah, so we have books in the back, and we have slashed all the prices on my messages, so if you want, they are like 70% off. So here's what I, I have to say. I'm just going to do a quick introduction. This is my husband. We've been married 10 years. Awesome. Best 10 years of my life. Yeah. Worst 10 Dang years right of my life. Is, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, and uh, I'm a pastor at Bethel Church, and we have a life consultant business. We work with people all around the U.S. We've trained up nine people to do what we do and launch their businesses. Um, and so we love seeing people get free. What we do in our jobs is we help people get unstuck from the places that they are emotionally stuck at because... John 10, 10 says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God came that we might have life that is more abundant. Abundant till it overflows. And so we believe that that's a real promise that we're actually meant to have abundant life. So um, I'm just going to start out, but I'm going to read a couple verses, and then I'm going to toss the ball and let him hit it. I'll I love sports, and suddenly I felt like a girl who didn't know any sports analogies. That's okay. Okay, so I just want to read a couple of verses. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowd, uh, no, sorry, Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I have compassion for these people for they've already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Matthew 20, 32, Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Mark 1.40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. John 11.33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Luke 7 12, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. 
Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Luke 15, and this is talking about the story of the prodigal with his father. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And then one of my favorites is when Jesus is telling the parable of forgiveness, the parable of the servant who owes the master billions of dollars and begs the master to forgive him, it says the master was filled with compassion and forgave all his debts. This is what moves God's heart. You see the miracles and signs and wonders in the New Testament. Whenever there was a miracle, it's because Jesus' heart was moved with compassion. Compassion is the doorway to heaven. Compassion is the doorway to the miraculous being released on earth. And so we actually need to experience the compassion God has towards us and experience compassion for the world in order to engage God's heart to give away all that he has. So that's all I have to say. You get it, baby. You get out of here. You, you go now. So she's teeing it up for me. I'm going to talk about compassion this morning. Um, really quickly, Jonathan, I love you so much. Solidarity, my bald brother. <laughs> I had so much fun with Steve and Jonathan and, and uh, Karen and Joy. You guys are absolutely incredible. So thank you for allowing me, um, trusting me with this platform here. I don't take that lightly when I get into this space. Um, let's see. Just going to set this up here. Like we talked about... Um, Abby and I as life consultants, in the work that we do, we are helping people actually process their history. Our history is what dictates our future. It's our historic moments, our childhood that starts, is the foundation for the letters. Our experiences as a child are the letters that start forming the sentences, and those sentences form the paragraphs that write the story of our life. So a lot of what we're currently walking through inside of our life, we go, why is this happening? I don't know why I act like this, but it's historically all based back here in our childhood experiences. And a lot of times what we do is we abandon our childhood. We go, oh, that was my past, whether that was, that was pre-Christ, I don't want to look at that anymore, or those things are gone and done with, let's just look forward to the future. I don't know what voice that is, but <laughs> that is future-looking voice. <laughs> but what we do is we want to escape this, but God's going, no, I actually want to visit it, and I want to redeem it, and I want to restore it. I want to go sit down in the midst of our history and begin to bring his reality, his truth, his healing into that space. But we are terrified as people to go there because we didn't know how to process the pain at the time. So we learn to suck it up and get over it. We learn to compartmentalize it. We learn to shut it down and we learn to run. And God's going, God took me on a big journey and he started pushing pause on my life so that I could play. We wanna keep on the hamster wheel when we don't wanna pause because we don't know what to do. Because we're not set up for success inside of our childhoods to process grief and pain. 
So we just keep moving forward. Unfortunately, what happens is if we don't pull the car in for a tune-up, the wheels fall off along the way, the whole family derails, the pickup truck rolls in a big wreck, fire explodes, and it's a tragic wreck, all because of fear, because we are terrified that we are abandoned and we are alone. Inside of my childhood, there were three key experiences with uh, relationships that were forming my view of life. And it's inside of the key relationships that we experience as a child where all the voice of accusation and all the belief systems are formed. And I had to start revisiting my childhood inside of the relationships that were affecting me in order to get my freedom. So uh, the three people that majorly affected my life, first off, I want to tell you about Grandma the Dismissive is what I call her. Now, when we, when we think of a grandma, we think of walking into a home and the smell of cookies and pie. And grandma's the one that's supposed to spoil you, right? Like, oh my gosh, let's go to grandma's. We'll get away with murder over there. <laughs> but like, I grew up in, a, in, a, in a, an experience where, uh, let me back up. My dad was part of a family business. Recipe for disaster inside of marriage, right? Because he's working for his parents. And so they had this electrical contracting business. And as a child, I was what we called big bone in the 80s. <laughs> now we call it American. But I was pre-American. So in my childhood, <laughs> in the 80s as a big bone child, um, I was made fun of quite a lot. And inside of that experience coming home, like after, after school, I would go down to the family business and I would maybe like help out, sweep floors or whatever. And my grandma would be down there and she was the bookkeeper. And so I would walk into grandma's office and again, you're waiting to be met with cookies and pie and love and all kinds of goodness. And so I'd walk in and grandma would go, how was Justin's day? And Justin would say, uh... Grandma, it was, I got made fun of a lot and I got pushed around on the playground. And then she would look at me and she'd go, Oh, poor Justin, look at me. I have a tough life. Oh, life is real bad for Justin, isn't it? And it's that moment of shock because you're like, Is this woman really saying this to me? I don't understand. And then she'd go on to tell me like, Um... Oh, the children in Africa have it way worse. Which at that point, I'm like, I've never been to Africa. I don't know if they have it worse than me. And I don't think you've been to Africa, Grandma. <laughs> so what do you know about it? It's interesting because as children, when we have our innocence, before our innocence is shattered, we have this thing called trust. And so our heart is really open. So like, every day I keep coming back. And I keep getting this, this same, how was Justin's day? Maybe she'll be nice today. <laughs> Maybe she'll be compassionate. It was bad. I got beat up again. I got pushed around. Oh, look at me. Poor Justin. And it was this broken record inside of life. And it began to smash something down inside of my heart as a kid. Because in retrospect, we laugh about it. Like my family and I, we all laugh about like, oh, grandma. <laughs> Tough life grandma over there. 
but it actually is really painful. And so many of us as children have interactions with adults in our life that similarly in, in different ways, but they dismiss and they shut us down and they don't prepare us for the grieving process. So we learn in that moment, I'm really alone. And then I had dad, the burdened electrician. So here's my dad working for his father, right? And his job is really to earn his father's approval. His job is to do electrical, but his real job inside of his soul is how hard can I work to earn my father's love? And so everything was about productivity, producing something, producing excellence. And so when I got invited in to the job site to work with my dad at 13 years old, here I have my dad, who is literally the youngest master electrician in Montana history. So we're talking he was brilliant at his job. And all of a sudden, he starts telling me what I can do on the job. Like, this is what I need to do. And he starts speaking Chinese. Or at least that's what it feels like, right? Because I'm talking to a master electrician that's like, take the flux capacitor and put it in the 290 volt back end of the fire plug. And I'm like, I don't know your words. What are you saying? And so as he's beginning to describe this world that doesn't make sense to me, I can feel his demand for me to quickly understand and get it. And as a 13-year-old, I want to please my dad. I want my dad to love me. And I'm trying to figure it out, but I don't understand. I stand there with this confused look. And my dad would go, well, did you listen to me? Mm, no, listen to me. Just listen, Justin. And then he starts spewing Chinese again. And I'm like, wait, that still doesn't make sense. And I can feel that every time I don't get it, and it starts registering with him that I don't get it, that his anger and his disapproval starts to escalate. Come on. And all of a sudden, fear starts overtaking me. Anxiety overtakes me. And at some point, you break and you just go, yep, totally got it. At which point, dad flies off because his only goal is to hurry up and get it done. It's not the relational experience right here. It's about he needs to perform and make sure this job is done effectively so that he can please his father. And so in a panic, for the next 20 minutes, I'm having meltdowns wherever I'm left working on stuff, only for him to come back, and I haven't accomplished anything. And now he's explosive. Why are you screwing around? If you want something done right, you just got to do it yourself. And then there's this message that I'm really inadequate, that if I actually don't understand off the bat, that I'm a failure in my father's eyes. And I am consistently living with this monster in my soul that says, you are a failure. You are not enough. You will never get the love that you need. No matter how hard you try, you, try, you are stupid. And the accuser comes to plant himself inside of these moments in our lives. He comes to begin to build this judgment inside of our souls against ourselves. And then I had mom, the uh, incredible wonder woman, who could do anything and everything. And so my mom in my childhood, she similarly wanted to win approval and affection. And that's what it is for all of us. The core human desire is that we would be loved. We are fighting, each one of us, to get love in some way, shape, or form. We are desiring to know that we are worthy, that we are valuable, that we are lovable. And so my mom started working for my dad. 
recipe for disaster, right? And so she's out there on these job sites saying, I can work harder than the rest of your men. Now, let me just give you a picture of my mom. My mom's an Italian, and she's about five foot four. <laughs> and she's running around trying to do the workload of a 200-pound man. And in the process of trying to prove herself, she ends up messing up her back so bad that she has to have multiple surgeries and that they have to fuse discs inside of her back. In fact, after the first surgery that my mom had, she came home, and three days later, laying in a body cast, she throws herself out of bed at 5.30 in the morning, and she is making breakfast for the entire family. Here's her walking over to try and make food in this body cast. And I remember my dad fighting with my mom. He's like, Barb, go lay down. I got this. And she goes, I'm not lazy. I'm not incompetent. I'm not incapable. I can do this. And I watch as my mom is projecting like their love is conditional. I am only valuable if I can perform inside of this relationship. And furthermore, I am not worthy of receiving care. It's not okay for me to be taken care of. And those people who are in need, there's something wrong with them. They're worthless. And so these messages that are sent to me is that my pain doesn't matter. It's that if I need help or I need care, I'm bad for that. It's that I should be able to figure everything out all on my own. And inside of that, it creates this massive isolation. We begin to isolate ourselves as we begin to say, I'm not lovable. And it creates this tremendous feeling of abandonment. And I wrote this. The truth is, isolation and abandonment, or the sense that we're all alone, is perpetuated by an environment of judgment that lacks compassion. How many of us grew up inside of these environments that didn't have any compassion? How many of us grew up inside of judgment? And this judgment is our survival technique. It's our way of going, okay, I don't know how to process my pain, and my parents and the people around me don't know how to help me with it, so I just need to suck it up and move forward. And I'm here to tell you today that God's saying, stop trying to suck it up and just move forward and stop for a moment to receive my love. See, what ends up developing inside of it for me, I had no compassion in the areas of feelings. When I looked at other people, I brought this into all my other relationships. So I started going, oh man, get over it. Your pain's not that big of a deal. Oh, why do you need help with this? I would get angry and I would get frustrated. Why can't you figure it out? Why are you asking me these questions? And what we begin to do is we become embittered and we become intolerable to the people around us when we don't actually have compassion for ourselves. A lack of compassion leads to perfectionism, anxiety, the belief that each situation is high stakes, self-righteousness, and pride. Because it says, I can do this all on my own, and I don't need anyone. I'm better than everyone else. You want to know how to eliminate pride and arrogance? 
Start realizing that you can't actually do it on your own and you are in need. You are in need of love. You are in need of help. You are in need of compassion. You are not an island. We were not created as human beings to be a self-sustaining island. We are created to be a relational network that are plugged into one another. Because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect union. They're in perfect union supporting one another loving one another, meeting one another's needs. God isn't like, oh, Jesus, back off. I don't need you. Oh, Holy Spirit, get out of here. I'm better than you. I'm capable without you. Jesus doesn't say that. They're in perfect union. And that is, that is what humility is. It's the surrender that says, I don't have to be an orphan anymore. I am actually a son and a daughter, and I was made to be loved and cared for. And you know what? The reason we don't do that is that we are terrified of the vulnerability it takes to say, I don't know how, and I can't do this alone, and I actually need love inside of this space. We're terrified that people will reject us. We're terrified that people won't know what to do with us. And so we hide ourselves. I was just hanging out with a... I'll put it like this. I was hanging out with a friend recently, and I start talking to him about his life. He's like, I don't need anybody. I'm good. I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm capable. I got this all under control. And all I saw was a little boy inside who was terrified, (laughs) terrified of love, terrified of being exposed, terrified of being wounded one more time. So what he does is he shuts off his heart. He shuts it completely down. But you know what? When we shut ourselves off from those places, the things going on inside of us like that, we also shut ourselves off from the fullness of joy. The fullness of happiness, the fullness of peace. The same place that our pain exists inside of us is the same place that the joy and the love of God exists. So we just draw a line between our head and our heart. And we go, I'm not going to feel that. I'm not going to let people into that. I'm going to live up here in my logic. And we wonder why we're having complete meltdowns and why we don't feel connected to the world around us and why we feel numb and why we numb out on drinking or we numb out on on buying things or eating food. We wonder why we numb out because there's a well of pain inside of us that we haven't had compassion for, that we haven't had met with love. And so we're just existing. We're surviving and we're not thriving. What this childhood produced inside of me was this view of the Father that was so skewed. Because you can tell what your view of the Father is and how you pray. (laughs) Start thinking about how you pray next time. Are you filled with a sense of fear and are you begging God? Or are you at a posture of peace where you're just making your thoughts known, completely confident that he's going to meet you? Because what it reveals to me, when I used to pray those prayers, see, my view of God was, you don't actually care about my feelings, you're really irritated with me if I ask you questions and I have needs with you, and you think I should just suck it up and get over it and take care of myself on my own. You really don't have grace for me to stop and care for my body and care for my life. That was my ultimate view that was sculpted from my childhood. And so when I had a prayer, it came going, please, please. I'm begging because I don't believe that God's nature is actually good. What do our prayers say about our belief in the nature of God? 
Ask yourself that the next time you have a conversation with Him. The interesting thing, what I, talk, what I talked about earlier, is this idea that we become intolerable to the people around us. You see, this belief system that we have, this disconnection from compassion, this relationship with judgment, bleeds into our most intimate relationships. Specifically mine with this beautiful lady on the front row. I said last night, the bald and the beautiful. You really are the best part of me. But see, Abby, when we first got married, I'm not going to lie, this girl was a hot mess. I mean, like, you initially get married and you're like, what did I marry into? <laughs> are you an actual child? She'll tell people that she has ADD and dyslexia, right? But we didn't know that when we first got married. So all of a sudden, all I see is after getting married, this human being that has complete meltdowns over having to pack a suitcase. And I'm like, what is broken inside of her? Can I return it? <laughs> She's like, I don't know how to pack it. How do I do this? Or we would go somewhere a million times, like driving somewhere, and she'd be like, how do we get to the grocery store? It's down at the end of the block. How do you not know this by now? But her dyslexia, which we didn't know was happening, actually made it so she couldn't visualize how to do stuff in structure or order. So she actually needed someone to help her structure with order, but we just didn't know it. So again, I thought I married a child. <laughs> and at that point, because I didn't have grace, kindness, and compassion for myself, I was constantly harsh. I was like, what is wrong with you? Why is it like this? This is not that big of a deal, Abby. And even if I didn't get aggressive outwardly, it was me throwing things around. I'm sure no one in marriage has ever got frustrated and tossed things around and uh, <laughs> passive-aggressively said stuff to their spouse. <laughs> but I did, because I'm a mess. But what happened was I am echoing the voice of my grandmother to Abby. I'm echoing the voice of my father, my mother, in every part of our relationship. And what that starts to does, do is it starts to build this chasm between me and intimacy with my wife. There are a lot of you in marriage that, has, that have chasms of intimacy. Okay, maybe it's just me that had it. Not you guys, right? But for those of you who are willing to admit it, oh, there's actually a breakdown in our intimacy? Your biggest hurdle might actually be your relationship with judgment. Your inability to connect with compassion towards yourself and towards the world around you. It may actually be your view of God that lacks what God's nature of love practically looks like in the way that he relates with you. And so if you have a breakdown inside of intimacy, I would challenge you today to start going, God, where am I lacking compassion? How do I not see you as a compassionate, kind, gentle, loving God? What about my history is skewing that view? Paul Young, the author of The Shack, is a good friend of mine, a loving father inside of my world. And one of the things that he says is it took him 50 years to wipe the face of his earthly father off the face of Father God. Some of us need to pause for a moment. We need to begin to ask, God, have I been projecting 
the authority figures in my childhood on you? Has that been skewing my ability to see you as an unconditionally loving, patient, kind, invested father? And if it is, Papa, what do we do about this? Rewrite my story. Show me how you saw me in those moments. God had to start coming into my history. He started having to meet me in those moments and say, Justin, I wasn't frustrated with you on these job sites. I was excited to partake with you and participate and teach you and help you to learn and grow. It's my joy to sit down and just be present. It's not about some purpose. The lie that we've been sold through our productive families' lives is that it's about producing something rather than being present in the relationship. What if God just wants to sit down with you and he doesn't care about your purpose whatsoever? We need purpose because us as humans need something to feel good about ourselves. But what if he's like, I don't care about that. I just give you that for you. I just want a vehicle that I can sit down inside of and, and create a space where we have relationship around. So the fact that you desire and think that you have purpose in business, oh, awesome. Great. It'll be something for us to talk about. I'll meet you on that. If it's about being a mom, great, I'll meet you on that. Because he likes just getting in our normal everyday lives and having a reason to participate in relationship and love us. What if he put your entire life on pause and said, I don't care about all of it. Let's just be present for a moment. That is unnerving for so many people because that's where all of our pain comes up. That's where all our fears and our hidden insecurities start coming up and we don't know what to do with it. He's like, I do. I do. I know exactly what to do with it. It's called my gentleness, my kindness, my patience, my compassion. It's called my full attention. People, Papa is not the authority figures, the human pe people that we've had in our lives. Papa is so much bigger. In order to get out of this situation, I had to start seeing God in an entirely different way. I'm going to read this scripture to you. Because you know what? Judgment is the ultimate adversary to compassion. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18 says, Since all his children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. For it is clear that he didn't do this for the angels, but for all the sons and daughters of Abraham. This is why he had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. He made us his brothers and sisters and became our merciful and faithful king priest before God as the one who removed our sins to make us one with him. He suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through life's ordeals. You see, Jesus came to this world in order to walk a mile inside of our shoes. 
He lived the exact same experiences we had. He had rejection, abandonment, misunderstandings, betrayal, hatred, judgment, accusations, injustice, pain, suffering. All of that happened to him. It says in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He has entered into our skin and he goes, I get you, baby boy. I get you, baby girl. I actually know what it's like to be human. I'm not off in the distance going, what is wrong with you humans? Why can you not fulfill these, oh, these commands that I have for you? <laughs> Sounds like a crazy God. <laughs> John 5.22 says, Moreover, this is a, one of the most powerful scriptures I've ever read. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. The Father judges no one. He chose to go, I don't choose anyone. Guess what? I don't choose to judge anyone. I'm going to give that to my son. And it's going to be for you, for you guys to understand that I actually have compassion on you, that I actually see your condition. Because if I didn't give it to him, you would feel like I don't understand you because I'm way out here, this distant God. But I came and got in the middle of your mess. And I was inside of your human condition so that you knew that I actually related to you and I partook in your sufferings. And that when I see you, I don't get angry and frustrated, but I go, I get it. I understand you. And it's amazing because right here it says, Jesus' final judgment on those that hung him. Luke 23, 33 through 34. When Jesus came to the place that is known as the skull, the guards crucified Jesus, nailing him on the center cross between two criminals. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed over and over, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Wow. He is in the middle of the most painful moment of his entire life on earth. And as a compassionate good shepherd, he sees past all the hatred, all the judgment, all the destructive decisions these people are doing, not just in their own lives and to each other, but actually literally doing to him. He stands there and he, go, he hangs there and he says, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Because he understands our condition. So many of us have lived lives believing, believing that we are not understood. And it's not because the Father doesn't understand us. It's because we won't give grace and compassion to ourselves. It's because there's this voice inside of us, our soul inside of us is screaming in the mirror, you don't understand me. You don't give me compassion. You won't let me see the Father's heart. You won't reflect his love to me. It's because our heart is screaming, you have abandoned me. As we stand in that mirror, we have abandoned ourselves. We have taken the judgment seat of Christ. We don't have that type of compassion to have any business being on that seat. Part of my challenge today 
is would you be willing to surrender that judgment seat? Amen. Would you be willing to get off the judgment seat of your own heart? Would you be willing to actually start reflecting the compassionate love of the Father to the person in the mirror? Would you be willing to not just hear about God's forgiveness, but would you be willing to start actually forgiving the person in the mirror? Yeah, but Justin, if I forgive myself, I'll just keep doing bad things. That's the greatest lie that was sold to us through the accuser. The lie of darkness is that you can pass through the nature of darkness in order to step into the nature of light. So the darkness, the accuser says, hey, why don't you come be a judge? Why don't you be harsh, critical, condemning towards yourself? And it'll make you a better person. It'll make people love you. You'll find peace if you just hate yourself enough because you'll change. And God's like, that's impossible. You can never step outside of my nature to produce more of my nature. So every time you decide to criticize yourself and beat up on yourself and hate yourself and live out the echoes from the past, you are believing the lie that the accuser can get you to God. What if we actually just decided to trust in the power of unconditional love? What if we actually started to believe that his compassion and his grace is sufficient? God, I don't know, I'm messy right now, I'm making destructive decisions, but I know if I hate myself, I'll keep in the cycle, I'll keep creating more pain, I'll keep feeling abandoned because I'll keep hurting myself. Jesus, I have to fall into your arms of love and decide to love myself right here. What if in the midst of a destructive decision we were making, we said, God, I give you permission to love me right now. I don't think I'm worthy of it, but I'm going to choose to believe that you see that I'm worthy of your love because it's not based on my actions. It's based on my heritage, and I am a son and daughter of the Most High because I walk with kingly and queenly blood running through my veins. What father has ever looked at his child and said, you don't deserve my love? Only a father that is broken on this earth says that. But a good father would never look at their child and say, you messed up, you don't deserve my love. There's something inside of us when we're connected to the father's nature that we look at our kids and go, yep, they're totally on drugs. I don't know how they got there, but there's no way I'm going to withhold my love from that child. And why would the heavenly father be any less? The heavenly father is way greater than our human love. Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 says this about the nature of the Father. All praises belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for He is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. He always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering. He always comes alongside us in every suffering? How many of us don't believe that? Because we feel abandoned. Because our history says we get abandoned inside of pain. Because people didn't meet us inside of our pain. So that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. He didn't tell us to tell people to suck it up and get over it. He said, come along them in these trials. Come along our sons and our daughters and our friends and our mothers and our fathers. Come alongside them and just join them in it. Don't try and tell them how to fix it. Just love them in the midst of it. 
There's nothing more comforting than a friend that says, I love you, I'm here with you, I'm not walking away, you're not alone. The greatest lie in our soul is that we believe that we are alone. I am here to tell you, sons and daughters here today, you are not alone. God, I break the lie of abandonment in Jesus' name that's had a stronghold inside of your children right now. And just as we experience the abundance of Christ's own sufferings, even more, God's comfort will cascade upon us through our union with Christ. Wow. There's a promise. Hallelujah. What? Okay. <laughs> she wants me to tell an encounter. Why, Why are you so bossy, girl? <laughs> One second. All right, I'll tell you this. She interrupted my sermon. (laughs) Only the wife is allowed to do that. In my early 20s, um, I, I grew up inside the church, and my home was actually a lot more abusive than I alluded to inside of this conversation. My mom was incredibly abusive in her manner. Um... And my dad was pretty checked out and aggressive on, side, on the job sites. And every Sunday morning was the biggest smiles on our faces. We are the stumbles. We're good Christians and everything's okay. Even though we were yelling and screaming in the car two seconds ago, crying on the way to church. I bet you guys know people like that. I'm sure you're not the people like that ever. But we put on the perfect smiles all the time. And as I got out of, as I graduated out of high school into college, I started saying, God, this is all a joke. I, I want you, but I don't want the religion that I was fed. I need something that's greater and more powerful and that's tangible to me. And so I started this ravenous journey trying to find God in the midst of my chaos in college. And I said, you know, I started looking at all the messages that existed all around, and, and every denomination has a different perspective. I don't think we agree on anything, really, except Jesus was Lord, and he hung on the cross and died and rose again, and that's it. And then everyone thinks that they know truth. But truth was really relative inside of the context of all these different... I'm like, what is truth, God? I don't know who to believe. They're all disagreeing with each other and throwing grenades at one another. I just want truth. And so God led me back to John 3:16 for God so loved... Love, 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 love the world. He said, Justin, this is the key. Love is the key. Love is what is going to change everything. And so he invited me on this journey of going, hey, why don't we come discover what love practically looks like towards yourself and towards others and how I feel about you. And so I started this radical journey of love with him. And in the process, I just said, just give me an encounter. Just give me an encounter, whatever. And one night in my early 20s, I go to bed, and I wake up in a dream. And in this dream, I am in heaven, fully in heaven. The colors, they move, they're alive. They live, they breathe. The colors breathe. Everything around it, everything is vibrant with life. As I walk into heaven, I see Jesus fully in all of his glory. And the first thought inside of me is, Oh, Jesus, you can't be with me right now. I was just looking at porn yesterday. I can't stand before you right now. I'm horrible. And you know what was amazing? Jesus didn't see anything I'd ever done. He wasn't even looking at that. He was looking straight through all of my decisions in my life, and he was seeing me. And Jesus was enamored to be in my presence. 
and that undid me. And I fell to my knees and I began to weep on the floor. Why? Because for the first time in my life, I felt so worthy. Because the King of Kings and Lord of Lords fully saw me and chose me right there in the midst of what I thought was too messy. And I heard the audible voice of God begin to speak. And it said, he will never forget this. And your whole being shakes. It's all the way I can describe it when the Father speaks. And Jesus came over and he laid his hand on my shoulder. And the only way I can describe it is I felt like my body began at the beginning of time and stretched to the end of time. And I was like traveling through myself at light speed. That's the only human language I can give. And it felt like there was this infusion of unconditional love. And in the process, there was a lot of things revealed to me that I'm not going to share. It was intimate with me and the Lord. But when I came out of it, he said, follow me. And he walked over, and there was a couch, and there was a teenager, and then another teenager, and then Jesus sits down, and then he told me to sit down. And as he's sitting there, this teenager on the end says, I don't know if I really believe in God. Maybe real, may not be real, I don't know. And he looks at his friend, he goes, what do you think about it? And his friend goes, I don't know. And his friend starts stirring with this. And then his friend suddenly goes, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about God? Do you think God's real? And he's looking at Jesus. (laughs) And Jesus looks at me with a really cheeky grin. And he's like, I love this. I love the journey of them going and asking questions. I don't have to jump up and prove to them that they're Jesus. I just want to enter into the midst of their journey. And all of a sudden, I understood something I never understood before. The compassionate grace of God that just comes to participate with us. It's not there to judge us in the way that we think judgment is, in our human judgment. His judgment is filled with compassion. And his judgment produces healing and transformation. It it produces connection and restoration and redemption. And so as I wrap this up today, I'm here to tell you this. There's an invitation to let go of your judgment here today. So I want every head to bow right now. Holy Spirit, I welcome your unconditional loving presence right now into this room. I welcome you into these places where people have actually held heavy judgments towards themselves, where they've taken up your judgment seat, Jesus. I welcome your presence to start shaking things inside of their soul. Right now, Holy Spirit, will you start revealing moments where they've judged themselves harshly, where they've criticized themselves, where they've done it historically? Will you begin to take them into their past history where they felt abandoned, Holy Spirit, it's time to start healing abandonment right now. We have been so harsh to the person in the mirror at times that we would never dehumanize another person like that. We would never treat another human being with that type of action. We would never say those words. We would never be that harsh. God, would you bring a holy conviction over your sons and daughters that says, baby girl, baby boy, this is no way to treat yourself. This moment in your past wasn't worth abandoning yourself. It wasn't worth hating yourself. It wasn't worth criticizing yourself and beating up yourself. This will never bring my redemption. Will you bring a holy conviction where they go, oh my gosh, no more. I don't wanna do this anymore. It wasn't okay. 
Will you begin to form compassion? Will you show them? There are moments in your history where you say, yeah, but people, if they only knew, they couldn't love me here. Yeah, but God really didn't approve of this, so he really didn't approve of me, and he couldn't have been there. God, will you show them these moments, and will you show them how you felt about them in these moments? Will you actually introduce them to the person of compassion? That today would be a new beginning where when they make mistakes, they would start to go, oh, compassion, what do you say about me? How do you feel about me? Will you begin to show them how they're all just little kids? Every one of them, the oldest person in here is still just a little kid in your eyes, Papa. There are some of you that have spent your life saying, I should know more. Just like at 13, I thought I should know more. I should be better. I should be able to do this. What's wrong with me? Why am I not enough? Why am I such a failure in this area? And God's going, I didn't expect you to get it all right. Because even when you walk off this earth, you're still just a little kid learning about my goodness and my glory and my love. And you don't have to have it all figured out. Would you introduce them to the person of grace? I give you permission to receive his forgiveness in your history. I give you permission to see yourself as a child. I give you permission to be gentle and kind towards yourself, to know that gentle and kindness leads to healing and transformation and humility. Holy Spirit, I release you to do whatever you want to do as you connect them to the Father's love this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. you to just keep your eyes closed. I want you to pick your head up. And in your beautiful imagination that the Holy Spirit has given you, I want you to look into the eyes of a father who loves you so deeply. I want you to see his face. What does his face look like? How are his eyes looking at you? What's happening in your heart as you look into the eyes of a father who adores you? And I want you to sit back in your chair and I want you to imagine yourself resting in his embrace. It's the safest, warmest, most freeing place you can ever be. Just melt into his hug right now. You're sitting on the lap of a father who adores you. And he's holding your face against his. And he has your head in his hands. And he's whispering in your ear, what is he saying to you right now? 
as you sit in the embrace of your Father, all of the unforgiveness towards yourself, just let it go. All of the self-hatred, the self-doubt, the fear, the anxiety, the depression, just let it melt into the arms of your Father. His heart of compassion is beating in his chest. Do you feel it? Do you feel the compassion just oozing out of his pores? He's saying to you, you were never meant to carry any of that. That was never my plan for you. So thank you for letting me love you. Thank you for letting me hold you. I love holding you. I love being with you. Not because of what you have done, but because who I made you. You're so beautiful. I love your heart. I love the way you're wired. I love your quirks. I love that funny little body part that you hate. I made that. I love that about you. I love the way you walk. I love how you talk when you're excited about something. I love your smile. And I love your heart to serve me. Oh, just take a big deep breath and breathe in all of his goodness. Oh, we just soak you up. He's breathing out and we're breathing in and his breath smells so good. <laughs> the sweetness of your smell, Jesus. The tender touch. This is the place that you need to live. This is the face of the Father that you need to remember. This is the Father. So anytime the enemy is coming in and telling you lies about who he is, you remind him, no, 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 no. I sat on his lap and he held me and that place was safe. So don't you ever tell me anything different about my Father. My Father is so good and he loves me for who I am and he believes in who I am. And he has created me this way. So don't you dare tell me any lies about my father. Don't you dare degrade his name. Because he is powerful. And he has victory over your lies. 
and you have no power in my life. So enemy, be squashed under my feet because I live in the embrace of a father who loves me and I have his blood flowing through my veins. I am a child of God and there is nothing else that I will believe about my identity outside of being a child of the best God, the only God that is worthy of my entire heart, my entire being, and I trust him. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Father, for who you are. And Holy Spirit, we honor you for the way that you have taken us on this journey. And we continue to follow the wind of your spirit. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to find out more of what's happening here at New Hope, please contact newhopecom.org or download additional messages from our podcasts.